Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Gavin. <laughs> Gavin is a robot today. I, Welcome. But, hey, you know what? Kind of in line with the theme of today and the movie we're talking about, because this particular nation definitely loves robots. The, oh, this is true. Definitely ahead of the game when it comes to robots and cinema. I think so. Even if they were fighting giant lizard, dinosaur, radioactive creatures. I think you're right. I think I am right. Uh, but we'll get to that soon. Anyways, how are you today, good sir? I'm doing I'm doing quite well. I, uh, I watched a very special film, what yeah. we're going to talk about. And yeah. it's, uh, it's going to inspire a question a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I, I, I haven't been able to train for a couple of weeks. Uh, just my back's been a little tight. It's an old soccer injury. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've had that. I've been carrying that uh, one wrist injury for a little while. So I've given myself two weeks off. And I'm going to see how I feel come Friday. Uh, see if I'm going to jump back in or give myself a third week off. But uh, otherwise, I'm kind of feeling good. It's, it's nice to give myself an off season. Yeah. Um, it's how about? Better be safe than sorry, especially yeah. when it comes to back injuries or anything along those lines. What about you? How are you doing? I'm great. Can't complain. Things are good. I'm feeling good. Uh, my Up to my usual stuff. Uh, training, trying to do more with the podcast. Going to be uh, hopefully uh, start recording just kind of like for my own practice, like little mini episodes that I'll just That's start great. dropping throughout the week, like 10 minute long, even if they're just reviews or something, just to keep me active to keep uh, the content rolling. So, uh, you know, we'll keep doing these episodes once or twice a week. I'll do mini ones just kind of to practice talking so people can listen to my lovely voice. That's good. I, th- I think it's about time we uh, we uh, get this baby monetized. Monetized. Because that's what it's about. That is all it is about. I, I We don't do it for the art or the love of it. We, no. We're in it for the money, man. The money. Just kidding. But it would be nice. It, you know, it, it would be wonderful if we could make this uh, our career because we love it, right? And Oh, it would be great. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, can you imagine just doing, we would practice martial arts, watch martial arts, talk about martial arts. Come on. That's, that's the dream, baby. That is the dream. But uh, anyway, do you have any questions for me today? I do. So okay. the, the, the movie that we we're going to discuss sort mm-hmm. of, uh, it was one of those films for me uh, that... I don't know how to phrase this question, so I'm going to try to phrase it, and then I might have to explain it. What are maybe two to three films for you that have stuck out as this is a special moment? This is a film I didn't expect to see this in um, kind of film. And it's not a great phrased question. I've been struggling with this question for, I totally, for about 24 hours. I totally understand what you're saying. So, for example, it can't just be a movie that stands out as like groundbreaking or this or that when I kind of went into it, maybe even knowing or expecting that. For example, The Raid. I knew that The Raid was going to be huge before I went to go see it. So that's a little bit sure. different. Same thing with uh, Flashpoint, Donnie Yen's, because, you know, we had already seen SPL before that. So we knew this was just going to be the evolved stepped up version. So it's kind of like a movie you weren't expecting and then really uh, stood out as something special. I can tell you one that definitely did. And even when I, I rewatched it actually a couple months ago and still highly enjoyable, uh, 
But especially when I saw it, it just took me by surprise because I had, in all honesty, not even heard about it because this is when I was still living in China. And uh, it did eventually get a Chinese release, albeit highly edited. So I was uh, on one of my truncations in Thailand for my last year. I, I spent about off and on. Let's see here. Like three, six about almost two months training in Thailand with my Savat coach, uh, Dominique. Mm-hmm. So on one of those trips, you know, I was literally training all day long. You know, people talk about, oh, I was training eight hours a day. But no, I, I, I actually was, and it was not constructive. And <laughs> But, you know, I just wanted to get the most out of it I could. So on the, the days where I would have like a couple hour gap in the afternoon or something, uh, I would go hang out in the mall because in Thailand, you know, it's freaking hot and the mall is nice and air conditioned. So I see the movie theater and I see a movie playing called the Kingsman. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And I see the poster and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I literally just look it up on my phone. Oh, it's an action movie. Sure, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Hadn't seen a trailer for it. Hadn't even heard about it somehow. Probably just I was too busy doing other stuff in my normal life in China. And I, I remember sitting down watching the movie and just being blown away. Like, what the hell? Like, how did I not know about this movie? You know, it's it's got that kind of James Bond-esque uh, feeling, but had these incredible action sequences and fight sequences. And, you know, you're like Colin Firth, what the hell? He, he doesn't do action, but just, and obviously Brad Allen was the, uh, stunt coordinator on that. And the whole church fight sequence just blew my mind. And so that was a movie for me that just totally took me by surprise because I hadn't even heard of it before I sat down to watch it. That's a really great, uh, that's a really great selection. I, for for me, you actually mentioned the one one of the films, and it was SPL because I wasn't really anticipating that. I didn't know what to anticipate, and uh, there's a sequence in the film that we just watched that we're going to review today that it hit the same note as the knife fighting scene in the alleyway that SPL hit for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this is we're, we're we're witnessing something very special and was unexpected. Um, do you have any like straight to video B martial art movies that stick out like that? Is there one when you were watching it? Like, of course, you can go into, you know, a Gary Daniels movie expecting a certain something, but maybe sometimes there's there's uh, a level that you're anticipating and all of a sudden it jumps up. Yeah, actually, so I have the perfect example. It's one of our all time favorite movies that we've done the audio commentary for uh, early on, and we talk about how much we love it, and that would be Martial Law, simply because I first saw Martial Law, I rented it from Blockbuster. Probably Blockbuster. That's where I got most of my American ones, as opposed to Hollywood Video, which had more of the Hong Kong section in my dad's town. But uh, so when I first saw Martial Law, I remember renting it, maybe watching it once all the way through. But this was in that period where I was just so ingrained in Hong Kong cinema that pretty much if it wasn't Hong Kong cinema or choreographed by Hong Kongers or, you know, co-production... I was just, you know, almost had blinders on. I was like, whatever, this is garbage, blah, blah, blah. And I literally just brushed it off. So I didn't rewatch Martial Law until I moved back to America, 2016. I get Prime Video. And probably within that first year, it came up. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I'll rewatch this. And that for me was one where I'm just sitting there and I was so enthralled. And I was like, whoa, how did I not like this movie as a kid? Because the fight scenes are, as I say, they're, they're the closest thing to Roadhouse, that's mm-hmm. not Roadhouse. And I love that with some more highly skilled martial artists. Because say what you will about Chad McQueen. Yes, some of his stuff is a little hokey. Uh, but he definitely, you could tell he was a real martial artist, even if it was more like a point karate type guy, like old school, maybe physically didn't have 
the same skill set, but he brought a bit of that authenticity that, yes, Patrick Swayze did fantastic in Roadhouse and trained really hard and he had that dancing background, but some of the moves, he lacks that that sense of being a real fighter, whereas Chad McQueen had a little bit, just even slight nuances like the karate bounce and, you know, like the kind of uh, rapid fire counter spinning back fist and stuff like that. So that was a B movie for me that, you know, probably saw when I was around, I don't know, well, let's say 13 and then rewatched uh, like probably, you know, for the first time when I was 30. So yeah, you know, 15, 17 year gap in between. And so it's like rewatching it again and me just being very, very impressed aside from the finale. Yeah, well, I was, no, no, you're, I, that's actually a really good choice because of just there is a sense of authenticity that you wouldn't anticipate from from a Chad McQueen film, particularly if it's your first Chad McQueen film. With that said, I don't think anyone has ever called the actor who portrayed Dutch as hokey. Yeah. But <laughs> well, no, you obviously his, didn't see uh, Scott Atkins' episode with Louis Tan. So oh, really? they talk about... Uh, the fight because Philip Tan, being Louis Tan's father, yeah. was uh, in martial law, and I believe he's credited as fight choreographer, one of the fight choreographers. But anyways, they show the fight scene between Chad McQueen and Philip Tan oh, in do? the Jet Center. Yeah, and oh, so it's man. Louis Tan and Scott Atkins talking about it a little bit, and they kind of he gives a little shit to Chad McQueen, or well, Scott Atkins does. But I mean, hey, he can do that. He's you know one of the greatest martial arts yeah. uh, screen fighters ever. But and then they make a joke with the fact that he's doubled for one of his kicks. But the guy doubling <laughs> him does a terrible like kick. Yeah. So it's like, why'd they even double him? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like you don't even have to tell me like that he was uh, what what kick you're referring to. It's just like I, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Yep. Uh, for me, the B movie, I, I it's like kind of split. It's actually. Jim Cotta was sort of like one of my first American straight-to-video martial art movies that I had seen. Uh, and the fight sequence with Richard Norton and, oh my goodness, Kurt, Kurt Thomas. Yes, there you go. Thank you. Kurt Thomas in the woods. It's just, it's phenomenal. It's really good. And the side work and everything. So that movie caught me off guard. But for the most part, I was actually going to go with one movie that actually made me my jaw drop a little bit is Marshall Outlaw. Oh, and you know, uh, I think I'd seen that before mission of justice. So my, my expectation of like Jeff Wincott films, you know, solid work, but there's a sequence where he's fighting the Russian style uh, with the, with the heavy weights Uh and everything. And the, and he just starts pummeling guys with like weights. And it's just, I don't know. There's some kind of, (laughs) I don't know. If you haven't seen it in a while, if you go back and watch it, it that scene kind of stands out. The, if not for the work that Wincott does, and it's for the work of the stunt crew, because I mean, and that's the same stunt crew that uh, uh, that's been used a lot by in Jeff Pruitt's uh, film work, and I think uh, a few others. We, we've seen the the names pop up here and there. We've seen the faces pop up, but just some phenomenal work, uh, stunt work. And I just remember saying. That when I saw that, I'm like, I now have someone else to like follow for a little while because by that point, I was all caught up on Donnie Yen movies, Jackie Chan movies, Samuel Hung movies, Steven Seagal movies, Chuck Norris movies. There was really a Gary Daniels movie. There was really almost there was a few year gap there where there was nothing left to watch that was inspiring, and then this movie popped out of uh, out of nowhere. Um, And uh, for people that are interested, Martial Outlaw, it is still on Prime, but it's now, I think it's connected with IMDb TV, so you can watch it on Prime Video with ads. So 
not the end of the world. Yeah, it's funny. In the last like six months, Prime has really done an unfortunate purge of their martial arts collection because for years there, they had from like 2016 to 2018, they had so many great like B-movies, classic Shaw Brothers. Like they just had everything. And then slowly they've started to, you know, weed them out. And now, especially in the last six months, I've noticed a huge purge. Like I went on there yesterday and their Shaw Brothers collection Whereas up until a few months ago was massive is now dwindling heavily. There's maybe only like 10 max and even a lot of the straight to video ones they used to have, they don't. So uh, we can only hope maybe they're going to grab them back, but I don't know. It's unfortunate. So, but you can still watch Martial Outlaw. Uh, I think maybe I will rewatch it in the next week or so. Uh, And I'm actually going to watch The Kingsman. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, definitely uh, give it a go. It's an enjoyable movie, but I will. Should we start talking about? Our I think, movie I of think the we day? absolutely should. This, this, otherwise, this, uh, this conversation will become an eight-headed beast. Yeah. So uh, that was my eight-headed beast uh, sound. Today we are talking about the 2019 Japanese film Hydra, a martial arts actioner thriller directed by Kensuke Sonomura and starring uh, Takashi Sato. And an actress named Mew. Uh, Just singular one name, Mew. So uh, this film, I remember hearing about it when it first came out in 2019. Good buzz. Uh, A lot of times with these movies, whether it's Chinese releases or this, the the big mainstream ones, like say a Donnie Yen film, will usually get uh, like Welco USA now will pick up the theatrical. Uh, For example, Donnie's upcoming one, Raging Fire, is going to get a release within a month of the Chinese one, which is great. Uh, here in the states, and uh, but sometimes the whether it, sometimes if it's outside of China or a lesser known star, it might take a little bit longer before we get it in the states. Uh, this being one of them, uh, so it is now available on the Haya app, which is part of Prime Video, which I believe is associated with Wellgo USA, and Wellgo mm-hmm. USA uh, is distributing the Blu-ray, which I think is out now or within the next week or so, and. Uh, it is a film uh, that is about a former assassin that has left that life behind and now quietly works as a, I guess you'd call him a sushi chef, but he's kind of like a, you know, a all-around chef, but like a sushi chef in a little yeah. uh, bar in Japan. And yeah, like a, a nice, a nice Japanese tapas bar that. There you, you go. Would, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, little does he know that his past is going to catch up with him. And then we kind of learn about his mysterious beginnings and who he really is and uh, why he's so, you know, why he has this enigmatic nature about him. And uh, pretty much it is a this is definitely what you would define as a slow burner. I mean, we've we've reviewed these before. This one is most definitely one of those. Uh, But. I feel they do a good job with that. And then when we do finally get to the finale, which has uh, two major fight sequences, it's definitely a special treat and very unique. And I'm sure we're going to discuss that. So my first time viewing it, your first time viewing it, what did you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I I mean, uh, one of the first thoughts I had was uh, literally about the pacing. And it it did... It was calm. It was deliberate. It was uh, confident. And while while it is a slow burner, it it 
the very first scene opens up with a super professional killing. And then after the killer leaves, the cleaner comes right in. And the way they, the way that those two characters operate is how the film operates. The film doesn't deviate from its characters. It is a very, uh, it's done just kind of very professionally and confidently. I know it's a great analogy right there. Very uh, clean, very organized, uh, very detailed. And that opening sequence is uh, a great introduction to this film because it is, as you said, a very professional assassination. It's not a big action sequence or anything. It's, it's spoiler alert, a bathroom stabbing. Uh, the one assassin, the assassin finishes, just kind of quietly walks out as the cleaner walks in. And that's the whole opening sequence. It's, you know, like maybe 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And at first you just think, okay, it's just kind of like our introduction to this film. But later on, it actually does play a tiny bit of significance to the overall plot. But it's a great establishment for what this movie entails. And I also really like it because it also sets up the overall aesthetic of the film, both mm-hmm. the way it's shot uh, the sometimes lack of dialogue, that whole opening sequence, nobody's talking. And it's also a display of the kind of cool, it, it definitely has like an 80s synth type soundtrack, which yes, I highly does. enjoyed in that opening sequence we get to see. Uh, and it, it definitely goes on a little bit. Like it's detailed. It shows the cleaner like really doing his thing, right? When you think, okay, that's it. Oh, no, no. Now we see him do the next thing. Okay, that's it. Oh, no, wow. He's really going to take <laughs> care of this body. And it's like, oh, wow. You know, it's great detail. And then uh, it's and just I, it's just left as it is. And then we start going into more of the actual plot. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, that was interesting. Well, I, and I do, I do appreciate like how detailed they go. But we see stuff, but we don't see too much. It's not like an NC-17. I mean, it's probably, it's probably definitely a R-rated film. But at the same time, if you go back, if, if I were to go back and watch this film, it might be hard for me to say, oh, this is why it's R-rated. Because so much is left up to the imagination. Uh, you know, you see things behind, uh, you know, tinted, I don't want to say tinted, but frosted windows, mm. you know, so there, there is, there is, I'm not trying to say, Hey, this, take your kids to this, but it, it's, uh, the director again is confident enough that he's just going to let you, uh, and the cinematographer is just going to let you experience the scene and see the scene, but also from like a, a fly on the wall in the next room kind of feel to it. And it's really nice. And some of the, the cinematography, and we'll talk about it as we get uh, further in, I mean, particularly in the second fight is particularly well shot. It's extremely well shot, but it's one of those things to me, I instantly thought, wow, this was a movie that was shot and had in mind to be seen on the big screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because from the lighting and stuff, it's done so well, but it's, it's that kind of darker overall, like the lighting is, very, very good, but it's a darker feel, right? De- uh, definitely. And so if you're watching it at home, say, and you don't have a home theater set up and it's like in the middle of the day and you got light coming in your windows, it's it's sometimes actually a little difficult to see what's going on. I had to, I actually went back and rewatched some of the action sequences uh, on a smaller screen in a darker room just so I can really, you know, uh, technically analyze them and so forth. But uh, I thought, I agree with you, the cinematography was great. Uh, even, you know, so the story, yeah, it's slightly convoluted. There's some s- subplots that pop up here and there. The overall basic idea is that our uh, lead character, Masanori Mimoto, if I said that correctly, uh, played by Takashi Sato, uh, the former hitman who's now living a quiet life as a sushi chef uh, in a bar that is uh, operated by uh, 
Rina, played by Mew, uh, who inherited the bar from her father, who disappeared years ago. Uh, later, we find out, uh, once again, slight spoiler alert, uh, that uh, Masanori worked with her dad as part of like a, an elite secret hitman agency that like weeded out corruption. And he was tricked into killing uh, his coworker, his the guy who trained him, who is Mew's father. So after that, he quit and he the dying words of Mew's, uh, excuse me, of Rena's father were, please take care of my daughter. So he quits being a hitman and devotes the rest of his life to looking out for Rena. And then his old life comes back to catch up with him due to some other people that kind of inadvertently stumble into Rena's life and so forth. And he's pulled back into the world of almost kind of like espionage and assassination and political corruption and it gets convoluted. It gets a little kind of like, eh, but it does the job to keep the narrative going, to keep the audience kind of intrigued as to what's going on. And eventually, as we said, it's definitely a slow burner, but they do a good job simply just because, of, as you said, technically, like how well it's made. You just enjoy watching some of these longer shots where there isn't even a whole lot of dialogue or anything going on. It just kind of captures uh, this interesting essence of Japan and uh, just the, the life that these characters live. But uh, go ahead. Well, and, and, you know, it's it's funny because where it gets convoluted, it's it's because the film almost has no waste or no fat on it. It's just very much. And that could be budgetary. I mean, mm -hmm. you can tell it's shot on div, uh, uh, digital video. But at the same time, there's no waste. I mean, even like even the scene earlier on where Arena's co-worker uh, makes a joke about uh, our, our protagonist, and then he's like, "Oh, smile!" And he, you know, he does like this really weird smile, and it's an awkward smile. Uh, but then at the end of the film, it comes back, and there is a smile. So every there, every detail kind of ties together. And while there is like a little bit of espionage, it's not like it's not an over the top espionage. I, to be honest, I was watching it with the subtitles, and I turned the subtitles off because I found like the subtitles were trying to force the story here and there along rather than just uh, being kind of uh, uh, like, like more of an experience because there's right. some words that aren't said and you just kind of like kind of just like the visually you have to fill in the gaps or some fill in the gap moments in the story as well. And as a side note for viewers that forgot or are new to our podcast, Gavin grew up in Japan and speaks Japanese. So he has the luxury of being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, this, this, uh, you, as I think the film we reviewed last week, as I think it was uh, the Big Boss, right? Mm -hmm. The Big Boss Two. Essentially, sometimes the you, what you were able to do is listen to the listen to this uh, dialogue as well as read the the subtitles and see where there are discrepancies right. or where it just made no sense in both cases. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, like for me, there there was a point where oh, we're, we're building a film that is here are good guys, here are bad guys, and then wait a minute, they're bad good guys and good bad guys mm -hmm. and so just you know it, it's a little there's a little bit of everything in this film uh i like it as a standalone film mm -hmm. uh japanese the japanese film industry particularly the action industry has a tendency to make a lot of sequels mm. uh so from that perspective this it, what we got in this film if this turns out to be a multi-sequel film is 
wonderful universe building that uh-huh. you and I craved or wanted more of in Mortal Kombat. We felt it was a little rushed, if, if I remember correctly. Right, exactly. So, well, especially when you have a franchise like that with so many freaking characters and you're obligated to bring like everybody in or even a fraction of them in. It's just too much for one movie. When you're building something new from the ground up, you have the luxury of being like, all right, well, we're going to start with these characters. Maybe we'll add these yeah. characters and so forth. And see, and see where it goes. And if this becomes a standalone film, this will be a very special standalone film. If it becomes a series, I anticipate we will see bigger budgets and more fights. And you know what the, the nice part is about, uh, so obviously, as we point out, this is a lower budget film shot digitally and stuff. But even compared to American films of the same style, obviously you don't really see them as often in America because no one's going to fund them, right? Uh, or it's harder to get funding for this kind of film. So occasionally when you do, sometimes uh, it's not a lack of professionalism, but maybe it's a lack of experience sometimes both behind and in front of the camera, particularly in front of the camera. So sometimes the acting is less than stellar. Sometimes it's not the greatest performances or sometimes you have a great lead and then everybody else is maybe amateurish simply because they're actually not actors, right? It's just whoever they could bring in to do it. This film, however, I felt the performances were fantastic from everyone. Even uh, some of the characters that didn't even speak a line of dialogue, like the cleaner. I don't think he actually, I think he has like one or two lines, but he does a great job of just being there. And even our protagonist, uh, Masanori, you, you point out like the whole sequence where they ask him to smile and he's just like, it's this forced, terrible smile. He does such a great job of playing this stoic leading man mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, is pushed to the edge in a sense and has to go back to his old ways in order to rescue Rena. Uh, and Rena is great. Like really everyone, the performances are great. Very professional. It, it seems like everyone is a real actor. Well, and you, you, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on your words a little bit here. But you, you, you just said something where basically – the lack of experience or professionalism, you might not get that in, in a B movie. By B movie, the B movie realm is either so often just sort of like a, I don't want to say a money grab, but just like s- some kind of weird money deal going on in the background, yep. or it's inexperienced people trying to build their trailer. But if you look at the the, the film director, uh, Kensuke Sonomura. By the way, you said his name a million times better than I did. I think I said Kensuke Sonomura. <laughs> so, Sonomura-san. Uh, but if you look at his like his uh, resume, like he has 75 credits under stunts. And some of these credits are uh, TV credits. So obviously there's more. It's one title with multiple episodes. He's an action director for... Uh, uh, so many films. I mean, I'm trying to find one that pops out, like obviously the Resident Evil action director. But I mean, he goes back working in film uh, to 2004 from what I see. And he's doing video games, video game fight choreography, stunt performer, uh, action director, stunt coordinator throughout his career. So by the time this film comes out, he's, you know, he is in full control of his vision. And I'd imagine that uh, he and uh, our uh, leading actor, Takashi Sato, they probably work together a lot because he's been uh, he has a ton of video game credits, like doing Mm -hmm. motion capture and stunt stuff. And he's done a ton of stunt jobs in Japanese films and international cinema. And he's done fight choreography and a lot of that kind of stuff. So this is maybe even kind of a passion project for them. 
possibly yeah. they could have known each other possibly it's like all right let's do this together and it's great when you see someone that has a background in stunts in motion capture martial arts uh choreography that obviously worked on their acting craft too uh and maybe he was just built perfectly for this character i'm not saying like he could step into a comedy and you know do something great like that or a biographical epic of uh masoyama you know i don't know but uh he does a great job in this role and so it could have possibly been a role that, you know, they built around him and what he was able to do. And he brings a great physicality. And as I mentioned before, that kind of heavy leading man, the the mysterious leading man, a Charles Bronson, a la Once Upon a Time in America or a Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood, the stranger. Right. A very similar. Uh, absolutely. That's that's spot on. I mean, it, it he just. It, it this role fit like a glove in this and it, it just seems like again it's a perfect standalone film could could turn into a series i mean definitely the way that it ends there's there's hints at a series um or at least sequel but uh yeah the, the role fits like a glove and yeah, you know, looking back over uh, looking back over his career it i mean there are a lot of titles here but i am seeing some titles overlap so maybe they met each other and occasionally popped, popped in and out. Yeah. And uh, I see, I see, he was in uh, Yakuza Apocalypse, which I did see at the Lamley a few years ago. So, oh, nice. Yeah, always well, um, cool to see uh, B movies on the big screen. Oh, it's great. So, it, yeah, it was a one night screening. Nice, nice. The only one night stand Gavin's ever had. Hey, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, but I didn't have to get a restraining order against. Woo! Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we've talked about kind of, we've talked about a few things here. Technically, it's a very sharp, well-made movie uh, story wise, you know, well done. Nothing you, you haven't seen before. Kind of the mysterious hitman drawn back into it. Uh, aesthetically, very cool. Very uh, it captures this Japanese nightlife kind of aura. And so now let's let's talk about the main thing. That mm-hmm. we went into this movie expecting, probably what viewers who listen to our podcast are expecting, the martial arts sequences. So we have said now about a million times that this is a slow burner. And when we say that, it's because it literally has only two fight scenes. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I would say two, two real fight scenes and then, a, and then two sequences before that kind of showing the strength of characters. Right. Well, so we have the assassination in the bathroom at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then what other one? We have uh, we have uh, our protagonist confronting the guy who slips Mickey's into drinks. Oh, that's right. So that is a very, very cool. Yes, you are correct. It's like extremely short, almost like uh, close range Aikido type thing sequence. Yeah. So but yeah, really, we have two big fight scenes. But when you think about it, it's not uh, unheard of. Like when you look at Donnie and Flashpoint. Mm hmm. Same thing. It's, you know, really the whole, but then again, like the whole last half hour of that movie is just the action sequences. So it, it really is kind of, and we had one short one at the driving range in the beginning, but pretty similar to how Flashpoint sets it up. So yeah. this one, we get two uh, big fight scenes, both, uh, one of them is like I'd say medium length, then the finale is a pretty long sequence. Uh, and so the first fight we get is between, what would be uh, our protagonist, Masanori, his agency, their newest hitman who replaced him against the rival like hitman agency, their guy who's uh, uh, I, I love the character design in this movie, too, because even uh, 
the new guy from uh, Masanori's agency is he, he's an orphan. Like they, they say how they adopt orphans and train them. And you can tell he's he's kind of insecure, quiet, introverted, uh, but obviously extremely lethal. And then the rival agency, their guy is pretty much like a homeless bum that apparently just reeks (laughs) and he just looks grungy and dirty and psychotic. Uh, And so the first fight sequence is between these two uh, gentlemen Mm -hmm. and it's a knife fight sequence. This one is pretty much almost 100 percent knife uh, fighting. And then at the end, one guy loses his knife and then uh, loses the fight. And th- this is where we get our introduction to, obviously, the, the true action style they're trying to capture in this film. And I'm going to say straight up right now that uh, I thought both fight sequences were slightly hit or miss. Mm-hmm. And I will definitely get into why. I mean, this movie's being praised for its action sequences, which it should be. However, at the same time, I'm going to be extremely nitpicky and critical and explain what I thought they got right and what they, what I thought they got wrong uh, in ways they can improve, hopefully, next time. And I know I kind of sound like a pompous uh, a-hole, as if, like, who am I to speak on it? But guess what? This is my podcast, and I can say whatever I want. So what did you think of this first sequence, which is a knife fight between the two assassins? So what's funny about the first sequence that stands out to me more than than the actual fighting is the cinematography. Mm, I agree. Okay, so specifically, uh, I love uh, when we see the, the orphan's face. You see his whole face, and then when, we, when it cuts and we see the... The, the homeless killer's face and you know just the way it's shot he it's like you actually don't see his eyes he's soulless and i love that sequence i, I love i love that moment where they took in between the fight and then there's another moment cinematically that really stood out to me uh, and it's also cr- much credit to the actors it's after the orphan gets cut a little bit and he's dropped his knife there's a moment there that it, that um, that they capture where you already we of course story-wise we know that who's going to win we Mm -hmm. know that the homeless fighter has to fight the retired orphan fighter so in other words we know our bad guy is going to win this fight yeah we know the bad guy has to win but what you usually don't see in in uh and this is why this is what stood out to me from this first fight and why it makes us why it propels us to the second fight we usually don't see that moment in a lot of action films where somebody realizes they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And we saw that. Uh, so once, for me, the part of the fight that stands out to those two cinematic moments, and then when, when uh, the guy who we know is going to lose, the, home, the, the orphan fighter, he goes for the knife, and then he tricks, and he goes for the grappling moment, and then the guy's already prepared for it because he knows every move that he's going to do ahead of time. That was a great um, it's a little sequence right there. I agree. Yeah, he goes so for that, the nuts. Pretty. He goes for a grappling shot, and then the guy counters with a nut shot. Yeah. So I mean, for me, the that's what I remember fight wise. What I what I don't remember fight wise is everything that kind of took place before that, or outside of the moments of pause. So let me kind of go in. This style that they're trying to do is it's very unique. I shouldn't say very, but it is definitely the style of Japanese B martial arts cinema pretty much started by uh, Tak Sakaguchi. I always say his name wrong. Uh, uh, wait, let me make sure I'm, I've am i got this uh, correctly. Tak Sakaguchi, yes. Uh, who is in one of my all-time favorite B-movies, Versus, 
that came out when I was like in high school in like 2004. And since yes. then, he's just pretty much had this career in kind of B martial arts cinema. And he's he's very prevalent, uh, his style, at least uh, his influence on this movie. And uh, you can tell whether or not they know him or have worked with him, that they had some influence from uh, his body of work. And the issue is over the years, he's gotten more and more into this like weird, flowy, flowery, uh, almost like Sistema uh, cinematic kind of style where and even his background, like Takasakaguchi's background, it says like, he's purported to have a background in this, 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 and this. And it's like early life, his biography. Well, he was a notorious street fighter and <laughs> no, no, no. And you're just like, ah, okay. So he could have just really been a dude that grew up watching martial arts movies, uh, replicated what he saw and created his own style and managed to create these cool fight scenes. But over the years, cause I follow him on social media, he's created, as I said, this very flowery moving system where it's always like, he's kind of like a panther and he's always moving mm -hmm. his hands and fainting and twisting his body in a very like, you know, Chinese martial arts way, almost like imagine uh Bakwa if done like a little bit faster and a little bit close range. And, you know, cause in boxing and kickboxing, sure. We move like side to side with our head, we faint, but imagine just in all this like flowery hand movement in front of the face, like very old school, almost Kung Fu looking. And he'll do like these knife demos where it's like knife defense and this and that. And it's, Sure, I guess it kind of comes off looking cool sometimes, but then it also comes off looking slightly uh, inauthentic. And so within this fight, we have the two guys knife fighting, right? And the, the, the speed, the movement, the camera work, the editing, it's all done brilliantly. It's done so well. But I'd say one of my main critiques of the fight scenes in general is – uh, let's say if on a scale of one to 10 in intensity, it's like you want your fight to pretty much like a classic fight, even like Jackie between Benny. You want the fight to flow around eight with moments mm -hmm. of a 10, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that way it's it's e easier for audience reception, like visually to uh, have a cognitive understanding of what's going on. You know, it's not too overwhelming. Well, with this fight, it's cranked. The fights in this movie, they're cranked up to an 11 the entire time. It's just constantly. Brr, brr, brr. And so some of the stuff is so brilliantly well done, but you don't even have a chance to absorb it before the next shot or the next. It's, it's slightly overwhelming, not in the same way like the Bourne movies cut way too much in the shaky camera work and you can't tell what's going on. This one's almost like it's too much to digest in one sitting. You're like, whoa, I, I, I want I want some some kind of pause moments in between and they do sometimes use some slow motion which is done brilliantly i'm like i want a little more balance of that so yes. this first fight scene it's all knife fighting so obviously if it's knife fighting what does that mean it's close range so it's all this close range stuff too which looks really cool but at the same time you see that and this is just me being nitpicky these guys i don't know their full martial arts background i don't know if they're just trained for the screen but it definitely comes off as a lack of uh true knowledge of kind of real combat. Cause even when you're, there's a difference between real combat, cinematic, cinematic 
combat, but you still want a level of authenticity in there and like realism. And so, for example, in this knife fight, there's a there's a sequence where they start like pummeling, like wrestling pummeling. Yes. And it makes no sense because the guy's got the knife clearly in his hand. It's not like he, the one guy has wrist control and they're kind of pummeling and, he, you know, he's stopping the knife and like they get a close up of showing that, oh, he can't get the knife into the guy's body. No, they're straight up pummeling. So for people that know that's wrestling, it's like I've got one arm uh, under his armpit and then I'm trying to get the other one and then back and forth, they're trying to get control uh of each other in a grappling aspect. Well, they're doing this and the the bad guy has the knife in his hand the whole yeah. time. He could have just started stabbing him in the, the freaking liver or the kidneys, depending which side, the, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in his right hand. So uh, the kidneys, he could have just like in the back and it's clearly visible. It's like, so what you're seeing them doing, it's like, oh wow, it's cool. It's it's like wrestling, it's like grappling. But at the same time, like, what what are they doing? No, you're, 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 I think that's exactly why for me the moments that stood out were those pause moments because it was like high intensity and then like high intensity mixed, mixed with maybe some illogical moves at times. Uh, and, I, and it's so funny that you said wrestling because at one point I'm like, oh, this kind of looks like professional wrestling in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at, I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy the film. I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy the fight. But what I remember from the fight, the good stuff that I remember, was that pause, and then the second pause, and then the reemergence when they tried to go to grappling, when one guy didn't have the knife. Right. And I will say this, the acting performance by both of them during the fight sequence, even the parts I disagree with choreography-wise and so forth, uh, fantastic. You know, they're... Because uh, people forget, you don't just do the moves. You have to continue acting, right? You have to keep projecting your character in this, and they do a great job of staying in character and making it believable. And kind of like when our quote-unquote good guy loses his knife, as you mentioned, he's like, you realize, he realizes he's going to lose. So that's, and also great like little techno music uh, subtly in the background. I love the soundtrack of this film. So that's the first sequ- uh, sequence, of, excuse me, the first fight sequence, uh, which I'm slightly more critical of. But then we get to our finale. So we have our protagonist, Masanuri, now facing the homeless bad guy assassin. And their fight also starts off with knives. They both have knives. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's how these assassins work. So once again, starts off, same thing. Very technically impressive. But uh, I once again was kind of like, oh man, it's cranked up to all the way again and blah, 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 blah. But this fight sequence goes on, right? And so it starts off with both have knives. Then it switches to knife versus like pocket or like ring knife. Is like he has a knife uh, mm-hmm. on his finger. And that's when things start to change a little bit because that's when we transition from the knife fight pretty much to unarmed combat. So it starts mm-hmm. off as a knife fight, same thing. You know, uh, once again, still very well done, but I still have my criticisms of it, right? But then it switch, finally it transitions to, oh, now we're just doing unarmed combat. And that's yeah. where this fight sequence, I, I'm still going to be slightly critical of some things, but it does some of the best uh, – it does something very unique that not a whole lot of other films have done. And this may be one of the best portrayals that I've ever seen. And that's of close range, like boxing. So yes. they do this kind of same flowy style that I'm critical of, of Takasakaguchi and like this, you know, Aikido, like, Whoa, watch this defense. He comes at me with a knife and I deflect and do the, it's like, well, in real life, we know nine times out of 10, it's like prison shanking style. And there's not a whole lot you can do. Like real knife defense experts will tell you, Oh, you're going to get cut. It's just a matter of you get cut less and you survive. Right. But mm-hmm. so instead they switch to, unarmed combat 
and uh, they they're doing a lot of close range boxing and the way they flow and they bob and weave and duck and slip like this is stuff that for example Donnie Yen started experimenting with in the late 80s and his the D&B films he did particularly that of like in the line of duty four like his yeah. ending fight scene with Michael Woods or uh, the fight sequence with John Salviti and when they do it, it they're much more at a medium shot and it's kind of a longer to medium range boxing, right? And so, and, it, and technically, okay, you see Donnie slipping punches and blah, 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 but it comes off, it, it hasn't aged as well. I still love those fight sequences, but here what we get is cameras close, they're very close, and they're going like full speed, and they're bobbing and weaving. And what they do brilliantly is they're, it's kind of almost like a like a Lamachenko, uh, you know, current uh, top boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, where like, for example, they, they slip or flow under a punch and they're literally making contact with each other and rolling up under the shoulder, throwing his neck shot. You know, he's either shoulder rolling it or flowing underneath the guy's armpit and then like changing levels or changing directions. And this whole sequence of movement right there, I'm like, whoa, that is brilliant. That is so well done. I've never seen anything like that. Even the MMA sequences that Donnie did, uh, in flashpoint, we, uh, there's still, once again, much more of that medium, a medium to longer distance uh, shots, not as close range as this. Like the the close range boxing that they do uh, is some of the best I've seen. As I said, in the way they slip punches, roll punches, come underneath, but they're they're still like keeping contact with each other. Like you watch a Mayweather or something like that, you know, stepping to the side, and it's just brilliant the way they do that. That being said, pretty much the whole fight sequence stays at that range. And mm-hmm. so once again, that was, that's kind of my critique. I'm like, okay, that's brilliant, but I want you guys, and they're pretty much primarily throwing hands too. That's it. So when we do get the few sequence, there's literally two parts, I think, where they kick and one of them is a slow motion shot. And you, yeah, and that's and a it's, great round It's house. a great slow motion shot. And guess what? There's nothing special about that kick. It's like a waist high roundhouse yeah. kick, but it's such a great, uh, almost like interlude you could say right where it cuts to that it's like oh and that's the little break your brain needs for a second and then the during towards the end of the fight he does a couple low kicks uh which are also really uh well done so my my main critique of this fight is the fact that it almost stays too close range the whole time uh and that that intensity works the speed and stuff as i said like it's just done so well but then they're staying at that distance so not only does it become a, a lot to absorb, then it also becomes uh, slightly uh, stale. You're like, okay, now what else are you going to offer me? And so what I would have loved to have seen from this fight sequence is, okay, the boxing range is perfect. Close range boxing. Now let's switch to kickboxing. Let's see some more kicks. Let's see that medium range distance. Okay, now let's see a longer distance with like maybe some jump kicks in there just to add kind of a unique aesthetic, right? To give us something uh, fresh and as viewers, we love great kicks and so forth, right? Or maybe add some uh, like uh, throws and takedowns. Because mm-hmm. I will say this: the end of the fight does do a good job of segueing into grappling on the ground. Yes, it does. And yes, I am not the grappling expert. I have you know trained grappling over the years, but I feel they do a very good job with uh, both from a level of making it look good cinematically as well as a sense of authenticity. Like they're incorporating kind of what would be 
like more Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo techniques. Like there's some collar chokes and stuff like you'd see with the Gi and Judo. But then, and then also, but to be honest with you, a, a little bit like Japanese catch wrestling and stuff too, because they're going for heel hooks and everything, which yes. are in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as well. But so the whole grappling sequence at the end, I feel is very well done. It's very well timed in the sense of, unlike, as I said, like the knife fights maybe going on a little too long. The grappling sequence is the right amount of time. They hold the submissions they're going for for the right amount of time before they transition to the next thing. It looks authentic and it's a great ending to the fight. So that's perfect. You know, we start off with the knife and then we switch to the boxing and the grappling. All I wanted maybe in between that was the kickboxing range, more kicks. And once again, that's my preference, but I feel like that could have really added, it could have completed the fight scene. It could have made it the like an amazing all around all encompassing sequence. Uh, and so pretty much that medium range striking is what I wanted. And as I said, you could have also added maybe some throws or takedowns in there as well. I mean, it's, it's so just like in the f- previous fight where the two, where I mentioned the two camera shots that, uh, where they take a breather from, from the fighting are the moments that stand out that obviously the, just the bobbing and weaving is done fantastically. I, I've never seen anything like that at that caliber on film. Uh, and they're doing long takes, although, you know, there, there are a couple of trick edits in there where a leg comes by and then you can tell there was yeah. a slight edit. But I mean, this is, this is a pretty much an extended, extended take fight sequence. Uh, one thing that I did like, uh, uh, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm the less experienced in kickboxing was when they were trying to find their range with the jabs and they're like going back and forth mm-hmm. at the beginning. It's a great, it's a great sequence because you can tell they're trying to find their range or it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just really well made, but the two kicks really, really stood out. And you're right. It's not like a, it's not like a Scott Atkins kick, not, not a Gary Daniels kick, not, not a Yun Piao kick, but those two kicks, particularly that one just stand out. And one of the things I want to mention, like when you said when they were trying to find the range, one of the things I really liked about uh, Sato-san, uh, our protagonist, the actor Takashi Sato, what I liked about his performance was he wasn't trying to be all flowery and moving like, say, a Takasakaguchi. No. He literally just had this two fists up, like near his jaw. It was a very kind of realistic. Sorry, I covered my mic there. <laughs> it was a very uh, realistic, almost boxing stance, nothing fancy. But, you know, he kind of brought this level of uh, realism to it right there. And I liked that. Uh, and I'm glad you pointed that out. And how did, how did you feel about their, I was going to ask you, like, how did you feel about their center of gravity? Because at one point they get start to get pretty low in the, in the fight sequence. And that's what I'm saying. The changing levels of the boxing and that whole, like when you're so like slipping, bobbing, weaving, coming up underneath that, that was just so cool and unique how they did that. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't want it any less. It's not like, Oh, that sequence was too long. And if I said that before I take that back, I just needed more of a balance and needed a, a segment of the longer range kickboxing really. And that's what I feel like could have made this fight scene truly incredible. And I'm just being nitpicky because I think the this ending fight is, is great. And I think for what they uh, accomplished and what they went after, I'm getting it, giving it an eight out of 10. Uh, oh, that, that, yeah, I think that's I think that's a very. But my they, other I have one technical criticism of it. And so within these fights, they're going for the more realistic kind of sound effects. You know, the ta, 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 you know, not as big and cinematic. That being said, it is harder for us as the viewer to distinguish between what are blocks, parries and actual strikes. So <laughs> the few sequences where they do like land a punch to the head or something, you're still kind of given that more realistic sound effect. And it's it, so it's it's harder for us to distinguish. And I think that's important as a viewer because we need to be told sometimes through cues, musical cues, uh, sound effect cues, 
to establish a difference between the shots. That was a significant strike. Like, yes, we can visually see that, but if you, they would have perhaps, because I liked the realistic sound effects for the parries and stuff, that's great. Mm-hmm. But then maybe a few sequences of like, okay, when he lands like a big punch, that's where we get more of our traditional, you know, whoosh, you know, something like, or an Indiana yeah. Jones style, like, boom, like to establish power. And even like the slow-mo with the kick and this and that, that would have been cool because when you when you have a fight sequence that's that fast, as I said, cranked up all the way to a ten or an eleven, uh, we we need all the help we can get get in distinguishing between movements and shots and actions and this. You know what I'm saying? And it would have helped with the style they were going for. Well, then that's exactly like, for example, what Blood and Bone did, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there there are sequences that are so fast, but it, I mean, so much of Blood and Bone is sold on a visual. A visual with that sound effect and also like uh, you know supporting actor going oh yeah but uh, obviously you can't have the girl rena in the room you know as she's like crawling on the ground going oh but you're right the 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 sound does uh the sound does help sell and i mean you and i and probably 99 percent of our listeners are either action film fans or fighters themselves or martial art martial artists or what have you so we we can tell uh a good sequence when we see it but for the people that start to go outside of this periphery who might who might indulge occasionally on an action film who might go and watch liam neeson go to find his daughter when they you know when they see films like that they've got a lot of help with the audio mm-hmm. and i think jackie cheney used to talk about this with the with american films like there's a lot of uh sound effect help uh for the for the audience so you know if we were to sit down and show this film to maybe not a usual martial art movie fan, they might have a little bit of a difficult time buying this film. Uh, they might have a little bit of a difficult time buying this film mm-hmm. as 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 a great martial art film. And they might also have a little bit of a difficult time like uh, making it the whole way through, which is unfortunate because it is a great film. But it, you know, it's a slow burn and it, it it's a great fight sequence to close this thing off. Agreed. And uh, so pretty much we, we've talked about most of the things of this film. Uh, plot wraps itself up uh, for the most part uh, as a slow burner film. But to be honest with you, I I was into the movie the whole time. I didn't get distracted like, oh, God, there's nothing going on. And that's through the performances of the actors, mm-hmm. just kind of the, the very interesting nature of the film, the stylistic choices they made. Uh, just a simple kind of story for a long part of the movie. And then, as I said, when it gets more into the, what I call kind of espionage or political like thriller or uh, not really political, but kind of, you'll get it when you see it. But, uh, and then, you know, so pretty much, (laughs) I digress for a second. I lost my train of thought. Slow burner film, but kept me, uh, intrigued the whole time. I didn't get distracted. And when I got the action sequences at the end, I was very pleased. Uh, mm-hmm. My recommendation is watching it like in a nice dark setting because as we said, the cinematography is great, but it's definitely designed to be watched in that kind of almost cinema-like aspect. You yeah. don't want to have uh, light protruding into the room and therefore making it hard to uh, see the action that's kind of in these darker settings, almost like basements. Uh, the finale, the ending fight scene, phenomenal. Some great stuff they did. Uh, as I said, some things I would have wanted to change uh, just from my experience of watching movies and kind of uh, familiarity with audience uh, reception and expectations, but really overall great movie. So uh, what is your, what's your final grade for this film? 
So my final grade, I, I would probably go, it's got to be a it's living right in the B zone and it's nowhere near a B, B minus. If, it, mm -hmm. if it's, if it, it's 85% or above, I did, uh, I did have one thought adding on to what you just said. Sure. And basically this, this film, the reason they engage us is not just the acting, but it's like the writer was there with them. It's sort of like Predator mm. uh, from that aspect where they had a writer on set. Uh, well, he's in the movie. He's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, they, they, the writer had to be near because every time I've watched a B film, and I'm not saying that this is a B film, I've always wanted to, like, say, all you needed was one more sweep of that script to mm. just give, give it a little more edge. And this was there. I mean, like, the homeless, the homeless uh, killer. He gets in the car. He's like... You smell, change your clothes. Just these small details mm -hmm. along the way. If that hadn't been in there, maybe things wouldn't have stood out for us, the viewer. And there are a few details all along the way. I know we talked about the smile at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film. Or when, he, when, uh, when Rena asks the, the, the protagonist, um, like, oh, how do you make such and such dish? He like names out the ingredients and he says, you know, poke holes in the chicken so the, the, the flavor gets into the chicken. Love they're that just sequence. these, yeah, they're just these, all these small details throughout that are, you know, the actors deliver on that have been written that uh, just make this a really nice compact piece. And on top of that, there's, again, there's no waste, there's no fat. So for me, it's an 85% or above, but not, not at the 89. And I want everybody to forget about what I had just said before that because you literally expressed what I was trying to and just couldn't put my words together today. That was Whoa. brilliant. And that's it because I feel the exact same way. This, so not even going to say anything else. I think you nailed it on the head right there. That's the aspect that kept me so into the movie before we got to the action in the finale. And for me, grade-wise, it's so funny. We're the exact same uh, place, like floating between B and B+. So you know what? I'm going to go with B+, simply because uh, I enjoy the movie so much. Yes, I'm uh, slightly critical of the first psych, uh, first fight sequence, which, you know, I, I may be will give a lower rating. Uh, but that ending finale, I liked so much what they did that was unique and uh as I said, I loved the the soundtrack that went with it and so forth. So I'm gonna give this film a B plus because look what they were working with. I mean, minimal budget and they made the most of it and it's fantastic. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully future projects from these individuals. Absolutely, completely agree. So any final thoughts? I, I, think, I think we've said it all. My man, I agree. So we'll be back next week with another episode. We're we're thinking of doing another, as they call a listicle, another top mm -hmm. five or top ten. So we have a few ideas, and uh, we know our uh, viewers enjoy that, our viewers around the world. And you know what? Hey, guess what? We're getting, on average, like 100 plays a week. So that's not bad. That's really good. Amongst okay. all of our episodes, right? So, hey, you know what? Maybe in a few months, we'll have 500 a week. And then maybe in a great. few months after that, we'll have 1,000 a week. And guess what? We love doing this, and thank you all for your support. Oh, and as a, on a final note... I unfortunately did not make it to the next level of the fitness competition. So it is what it is. And I well, want to thank know, you, everyone that voted for me, everyone that went out of their way to vote every day. Thank you so much. Uh, but guess what? There's plenty of more fun stuff to come, both in my fitness and martial arts. And we'll be talking about that soon.
Well, my, my hat's off to you for joining that competition and also for playing playing it, playing it the way that Don would uh, would uh, appreciate playing it straight and honest and you know not uh, buying thousands of dollars of votes. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Re- really, really good job. Definitely an inspiration. All right, my man. Well, we will be talking soon. Great episode today, and yeah, adios, everybody. Adios, or as they'd say in Japan, sayonara. How was that? That was amazing. Thank you. All right. Peace, everybody. Peace.